My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer Online. Really thankful that you're here. If you've got a Bible, open it up. We're going to read a bit of text. We're in Genesis 48 and 49 tonight. Two chapters that are Jacob's last words. He's blessing his children here. We're going to read it together. We're going to read some portions together so that you see what's going on. Starting in 48, verse 8. 48, verse 8. We're going to read 8 through 16, and then we're going to move to chapter 49. Genesis 48, 8 through 16. You can follow in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. When Israel, that's Jacob, saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. For Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Jump over to chapter 49, starting in verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men. And in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between, between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Now jump down to verse 22. We'll read 22 through 26. 
Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Oh, it's so good to say those words again and again. Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you now. We need you every moment. You are our strength in our life. And we confess to you now. Apart from you, we can do nothing. I cannot preach a sermon that will do a thing. We cannot listen to your word and it have, us, have it pierce our hearts unless, God, you help us. So please help us, God, and be honored as our help tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, these chapters, Genesis 48 and 49, they're Jacob's last words. He's blessing his 12 sons before he dies, and these are prophecies. So some of the blessings don't really seem like blessings, but he is telling what's going to happen in the future with these sons, some of it good, some of it bad. In these blessings, two of Jacob's sons stand out, Joseph and Judah. Joseph stands out because Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are going to get shares in the land of Israel, just like Jacob's own sons. So when Israel leaves Egypt and they conquer Canaan, the land's going to be divided up. And these two grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, they're going to have equal shares with Jacob's sons. And in fact, Ephraim will be the most powerful tribe in Israel throughout its history. That's a big deal. So the blessings on Joseph stand out, but the blessings on Judah stand out as well. Because in the blessing to Judah, the Messiah, the promised king who's going to save the world, is promised. That's what's happening in these chapters, 48 and 49. And we're going to spend most of our time looking at the blessings to Joseph and to Judah. And as we do, we're going to focus on two things. These are just two sections of the sermon. The God of Jacob and the Lion of Judah. So we're first going to talk about the things that Jacob has learned about who God is. That's the God of Jacob, first section. And then we're going to talk about the Messiah who's promised in Judah's family. Second section, the Lion of Judah. Let's talk about what Jacob has learned about God first. So God of Ju Jacob. So Jacob was a scoundrel. If you guys remember, this guy was a cheat. He was a liar. He cheated his brother. He cheated his father. And even when he related to God, he was always trying to bargain with him. Some of you might relate to God this way. Like, I'll give you a little bit if you give me some back. There's no total submission 
which is what God calls us to. It's bargaining, and that's how Jacob was. But God chose Jacob, and so God changed him. It's the way it works. If God chooses you, he will change you, and it won't happen all at once. It happens little by little. So we don't believe, by the way, that God makes any one of us perfect in this life. That's not going to happen. But he does change people. He does it at first at conversion. That's when you become a Christian. Something happens inside of you that cannot be undone. God changes you. The way he does it is that in a moment where you're hearing the gospel preached, you're reading it, you're remembering it, he opens the eyes of your heart to see. And what you see is a God who is beautiful and glorious for the first time. That's called becoming a Christian. And when that happens, worship happens. That's the only response to seeing God as he is with the eyes of faith in our heart. And that changes people. You know, once, once you've tasted who God is, you cannot go back. You can't go back. Have you ever... Have you ever eaten something that you cannot get enough of? That's what it is to become a Christian. There's no such thing, hear this, there's no such thing as a Christian who has really tasted of God but doesn't hunger for more of him. I mean, if that's you, if, if you don't hunger to be with God, you don't ever take steps to feed your soul with him, then you haven't really tasted him. But if you have, you'll want more. <laughs> you'll want more. And he will give you more through the word, through prayer, through obedience, through fellowship with other believers. You can feast your soul on God and you'll become like him. As they say, you are what you eat. If you feast on Jesus, you will become like him, little by little. That's what happened to Jacob. He went from trusting in himself to trusting in God. And here's what Jacob learned about God. We're going to see this in two names that he calls God. These are unique. Jacob's the first person to ever call God these two things. God is his shepherd, and God is his rock. God is his shepherd, and God is his rock. Look at 48, verses 15 through 16. Look at how Jacob talks about God. He says, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. He calls God his shepherd. This is the first time in the Bible that God's called a shepherd. He's going to be called a shepherd a lot. This is the first time it happens. Jacob was a shepherd. He knew what it was like to lead sheep, to have to provide for them, to move them from place to place. When you're a shepherd, you're caring for an animal that needs to be protected from danger and needs to be moved to places that are good for it. We just sang, didn't we? Lord, we need you. We're saying we need you to shepherd us. Jacob knew that. He's saying, I'm a sheep. 
I mean, this guy went from trying to cheat everybody, control his life, to saying, I'm a sheep. I need to be led. I need someone else to take care of me. You are a sheep who needs a shepherd. You can chart your own course, you can plan out your own life, but it will only lead you into a spiritual desert. Really, the only place, the only course we can chart for ourselves will be into a spiritual wilderness, spiritually famished, spiritually thirsty, and miserable. Do you know how lost you are without God? I mean, some of us don't want to think about it. We don't want to think about how bad off we are without him. But if you know how lost you are without him, you're blessed. You're blessed. Because he'll shepherd you. Christians, do you act like God is your shepherd? Do you follow him where he goes? Do you try to figure out where he's leading you before you set out on your own? Do you want to be near him? He's the shepherd. If you belong to him, he's going to keep your soul safe and he's going to take you to green pastures forever. That's what he does. You see in verse 16, Jacob says that this shepherd is the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. So he's referring to the times that God has appeared to him. Jacob knows God cannot be seen as he is. He's a spirit. The New Testament says he dwells in unapproachable light. So if you saw God in the Old Testament, it was a form that God was taking so that he could appear to you. And that's why the Old Testament sometimes calls the appearances of God the angel of the Lord. When people see the angel of the Lord, they go, I should be dead. I've just seen God. God isn't an angel, but he takes a form that people can see in the Old Testament, and it's often called an angel. So what Jacob's saying is, this God, he's appeared to me. He's been with me. And as verse 16 says, he's redeemed me from all evil. Now, if you remember, one chapter ago, chapter 47, verse 9, Jacob comes to Egypt, and he stands before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, how old are you? And Jacob says, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. That's not a very positive thing to say. Now, 17 years have gone by since he said that. And when he reflects on his life, he sees that in all the suffering, all the evil that he has been through, God was shepherding him out of evil and into good. That's what we're seeing here. He was steering the course of Jacob's life to bring him out of darkness That's a lot like Psalm 23, isn't it? David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he goes on to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Are some of you there? For some of you, it is literal death. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, shepherd, are with me. And you, all the evil that you're in right now, whether that's evil in your own heart, or the suffering from the outside that you're in, God will shepherd you through it, and he will be with you. He's a shepherd. Let's turn to 49, verses 22 through 26. This is where Jacob is blessing Joseph, and he's describing what has happened to Joseph in Joseph's life. So in chapter 49, verse 22, he says, Joseph is a fruitful bough. It's a tree, a branch, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him. They shot at him. They harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So here God's called a shepherd again. He's not just Jacob's shepherd. He's Joseph's shepherd too. But Jacob adds another name. He calls God something new again. He calls him the stone of Israel. And that phrase, the stone of Israel, it's not used anywhere else in the entire Bible, only here. So what is Jacob saying? Stones are sturdy. They're solid. They can be built on. If you want to lay a foundation, you use a stone for your house. Jesus is called a cornerstone in the New Testament because he is what we are built on. And everything is built in relation to him. He's a cornerstone. So when Jacob says that God is the stone of Israel, he's saying God is sturdy. You can build your life on God. You can build your life on what he says and not be blown over. You know what Jesus says in Matthew 7? This is Matthew 7, 24 through 25. Jesus says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So if you take this Bible and you live on what it says as more truthful than any other information you have, more truthful than what you feel, more truthful than the pressure you feel from your friends or what they're telling you, or even what you see on the news. If you build your life on this, your life will last forever. But if you live as though what you feel is more true than this book, what your friends say is more reliable than the words that are in this book, what's on the news is more trustworthy, then your life will be wasted. It will collapse in the end like a cardboard house. God is going to punish this world someday. In his anger, it will come like a flood for us believing that anything might be more satisfying than he is. 
And those, only those, who build their life on this rock will survive. And those who do survive, those who stake their lives on the fact that this was the most trustworthy word they have, they'll live forever in God's own joy. God's a rock. Now, the phrase, a stone of Israel, it's only used once, but the phrase, the rock of Israel, is used elsewhere in the Old Testament. It's in Isaiah, it's in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, David calls God the rock of Israel. Now, if you're familiar at all with David's life, there was a time before he was king where King Saul was chasing him around the wilderness. And most of the time, when Saul was chasing David, David would run to a rock. Now, when he ran to a rock, he wasn't running to a little boulder. He was running to a mountain, or like these ridges over somewhere over here that are going over to Jebel Hafid. Because when you run to the rock, you've got places to hide. And if it's to your back, your enemy can't sneak up on you. If you're on top of it, you have a major advantage in a fight because it's much easier to fight downward than it is fighting upward. David knew that. Rocks are where David ran was when he was in trouble. And in 2 Samuel 22, David calls God his rock. Listen to this. This is 2 Samuel 22, verses 2 and 3. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. So God is a safe place if you run to him. He'll hide you. He will give you refuge. He will give you shelter. If you run to God when you're scared, he'll take care of you. If you run to God first and stay with him when you need help, he'll help you. He loves to be a shelter. And if you run to him, for him to hide you from his judgment towards your sin, guess what? He'll hide you. He'll do it. He is the safe place in the universe. In fact, moving towards him is the safest place in the universe. Running from him is the most dangerous place in the universe. He's a rock. You must hide in him if you would be safe from him. Is your first instinct to run to God when trouble comes? If not, you're out of step with reality. He is the rock of rocks. He's the rock every other mountain points to. We can hide in him. He'll keep you safe. Jacob knew it. He knew it. He knew that God was a shepherd, had been leading him his whole life, and he knew that God was a rock he could hide in. I want you to notice one last thing in Genesis 49. Look at verse 24. Jacob doesn't just say that God is a mighty one, God is a shepherd, God is a stone. He calls him the mighty one of Jacob, the stone of Israel. Do you see that? He's saying, he's my mighty one. 
He's my stone. Do you know God as your own? Do you know him as your own? Is he other people's God, or do you know what it is like to fellowship with him yourself? Oh, I would plead with you, if you never have, pray to him. Pray to him to be your God. Today is the day of salvation. That's what the scriptures say. Come to him. He'll shepherd you. He'll hide you. Now let's talk about the Lion of Judah. When Jacob blesses Judah, Judah's his fourth-born son. He prophesies about the Messiah. This is the promised king who's going to save the world. So look at 49, verses 8 through 12. Jacob says to Judah, Judah, your brother shall praise you. That means he's going to be above his brothers, all of them. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. That means he's going to dominate those who oppose him. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. So it's saying he is the child of a lion. That's what he's like. It says he's like one who goes down, hunts down his prey, and then rests. And no one would dare to mess with him when he's resting. That's what this king is going to be like. Verses 9. The scepter, the staff of a king, these verses say, will never depart from Judah. Do you see that? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So this family, from this family, will come a king who will rule the world. Do you see that? The obedience of the peoples. And this is a kingdom that will last forever. That's what verse 10 is saying. Verse 11, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he's washed his garments in wine and his vesture, those are his clothes, in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So what it's saying is when it's saying he's going to tie his donkey's colt to a vine, he's going to wash his clothes in grape juice and wine, it's saying where this one is king, there's going to be so much fruitfulness overflowing. There are going to be vines, grapevines everywhere. They're, that's what you're going to use to tie your donkey up to as a post. Grapevines. You don't need water. You use grapes. Because there will be flourishing where this one is the king. Dark eyes, white teeth symbolizing health. That's what's happening when the offspring of Judah is king. Okay, let's take a step back. Where have we been in this book? We're getting close to the end. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to finish Genesis. From the beginning, from the third chapter, we've been promised, Eve was promised, that her offspring would crush the head of the serpent. And we've been hoping that this one will undo the curse of death that has fallen over the entire creation because of our sin. So we've been waiting for. And when we got to Genesis 12, God said to Abram, Abram, he 
It's coming through your family. And from Abram to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob to Judah, the way that God is going to bring his blessing, flourishing life, the way he's going to bless all the families of the earth is through a king, a lion from the family of Judah, a lion who will conquer his enemies and then rest and bring flourishing and peace with him. So who is this lion of Judah? Turn to Revelation 5. If you can, this is important to see. Revelation 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Here in Revelation 5, the Apostle John, it's one of Jesus' closest disciples. In a vision, he's taken up to heaven, and he's in the throne room of God. And in God's right hand is a scroll And on that scroll, on the front and the back, are written God's plans to bring this world to a close and to bring the new heavens and the new earth to bear. But no one is worthy to open the scroll. No one can open it and bring God's plan to pass. Look at Revelation 5, starting in verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? It's Jesus. but this lion looks like a lamb that has been slain. Which means that this lion conquered by being sacrificed like a lamb in the place of sinners. That's what verse 9 says. 
You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Your greatest enemy is your sin. Your sin is the only thing that can send you to hell. And Jesus Christ was sacrificed like a lamb to devour your guilt like a lion. But he didn't stay dead. You'll notice the lamb who looks like he's slain is standing. He's alive and he has seven horns which represent the power of God. And this lion lamb is living with the scroll in his hands. He is the Lord of history. He's in charge of this moment right now and every moment hereafter. And he'll bring life and flourishing where he rules. So when Jacob was prophesying about Judah, God was telling us, of a kingdom from this family that would never end. And it's Jesus' kingdom. All that God had promised, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, is fulfilled in this one, Jesus Christ. Here's where this all connects. When Jesus is your king, that's how God becomes your shepherd. That's how God becomes your rock your place to stand, your place to hide. So practically, if you don't have a real relationship with God, you're sitting there and you know, it's not real. Whatever I have is not a real relationship with God. Will you come to Jesus and trust his death for you? This one was slain to ransom people. Will you come to him? You can't shepherd yourself. There's one way to be shepherded out of your sin, and it's this one. It's this lion lamb who devoured your guilt. And Jesus is the rock. He's the rock you can hide in from God's wrath. It's him. And God has provided him for you if you would just receive him. And for Christians, this is very practical. If you want to know, okay, what does it look like for God to shepherd me day to day? To practically be shepherded by God. It comes through following Jesus as your king. When you do what he says, that's how he shepherds you. This could practically change your life. It could, if you believe it. If you give yourself to knowing what he says and living on it, obeying it with him as your king, you will know what it means for God to shepherd you moment by moment. And very practically, if you need a place to hide from your troubles, whatever your troubles are, 
And we have lots of them, new ones every day. You hide in Jesus by praying to God on the basis of what Christ has done for you. If you pray to God and you tell him, I'm only coming to you right now, God, because Jesus has conquered my sin. The only reason I can approach you right now is because he's the lion who conquered by being slain like a lamb for my sin. So God, on the basis of him, will you help me? He will. Then God will shelter you. That could practically change your life if you live that way. And you will know what it means, like Jacob, to have God as your rock. Let's pray. Father, we need to be shepherded. We need the stone of Israel to build our lives on when the floods come. We need a rock to hide in, and you've provided one. Thank you for sending your son. Oh, we did not expect him to come the way he did. We expected a lion who would come with a sword. But you sent one mightier than that. You sent your son to be slain for sinners. Thank you. Oh, would you help us now as we worship him? Help us to hide in you, to follow you wherever you go, through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.